one day in your house. I, you know, you just want to, you just want to be there. We were created to be in His house. We were created to be every day, all the time, to be in His house. I'm not talking about the church building. I'm talking about being in His presence. Just being there. Man, it's a new year, right? I thought we just started a new year, and here we are again. And, you know, the last two years have held a lot of devastation for some people. Um, There's probably no one here who has known someone to pass away during this during the, this whole COVID thing. Or, um, man, I think about the fire down there this week, down in um, Broomfield, around that area, Lafayette, not Lafayette, Lafayette, Boulder, Louisville, that's what I was thinking. It had an L in it, I knew that. But the thing about it is, is thousands of people, their homes were reduced to nothing. And how does somebody walk through that? I mean, out of out of a thousand homes lost in that fire, there had to be Christians in there, right? There had to have been sold out people in the presence of God in that whole deal. I mean, all the way from somebody who don't even care about God to somebody that loves Him so much, it happened. But here's the deal. person who has God in their life will walk it out. They won't be, they'll they'll be hurt. They'll be hard to, it'll be hard to handle. But when devastation hits us, it's not about the moment that, you know, was God mad at me or is, did I do something wrong to cause this devastation? It's, I know those questions pop up, but it's not about that. It's about who you know getting you through that. Amen. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's good. That's where, that's where the difference is. That's where the difference is. That's that, that, that person who knows or, or seeks God is in his house, in his presence, to see how they can go through that, to see how they come out on the other side. Because the Bible says that he will give you beauty for ashes. Yeah. Because it didn't say you wouldn't have any ashes. He said that when the ashes come, it's you in the Spirit of God that begins to birth the beauty in the ashes. now in Jesus name. God, we thank you. We are a congregation coming together today. And Father, we lift up those people who have lost homes. We we lift up those people that um, on the on the the Christian side of things, I pray God that you would drop in them the ability to walk through this and push that beauty out. But not only that, to be able to begin to witness to the people who lost things that, did, that didn't know you. 
and that can begin to become a community that is seeking you, God. So, Father, I, I lift up, we lift up all the people who have lost things in that, that their lives are devastated, the people who have passed on because of this disease, this virus that's in our midst. Father, I pray that whatever the case may be in our lives, that the devastation comes close to us or even hits us, that you give us the ability to step into your house, to step into that place, even when we don't understand, to step in that place and receive your beauty to bring it out of the ashes of our life. Because God, you are good. You are so good. You are so good. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I just, I really think that as we move forward in this year, that we would be grateful, be thankful every day for what God has given you. Because when we have that attitude of gratitude, it it brings the beauty out of the ashes. exciting. It's a new year. All three of you. It's a new year. It's a new time. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to find somebody you haven't talked to today. And I want you to say, it's a new year and I'm walking with you. All right. Find somebody. Go. Yeah. How y'all doing? Well, it's good to see you guys. It's, uh, man, this was one of those freeze your nose hairs morning, wasn't it? I went out to feed my horse and she had frost all over all on her whiskers and all that good stuff. Uh, I was hoping she'd make it through the night because <laughs> it got so cold. I stepped out of there and my nose froze on the inside, from the inside out. And, um, that uh, it was cold. We haven't had any of that lately, so it's. Uh, I could do without the bitter cold, but we did need the snow, and um, so it's a good good thing. So, um, my name is Darren Gleghorn. I'm the lead pastor here at Cowboy Church. If I've never got to meet you, I hope to at some point. And uh, I just want to say thank you for coming. If if this is your first time here. Uh, Thank you for being here. One of the things we always say is that uh, you're, you're only a visitor once. After that, you're family. So next week, we gather at your house, and you get to cook for us. Uh, okay. But now they won't come back. Um, no, but seriously, we, we just uh, we're so honored and blessed that you would choose to come here this morning and um, to get out of bed, even when it's so tempting to stay in bed on a cold day like this. But uh, anyways, uh, I mean, we live in Colorado, so, duh. Uh, when we were having church in, our in, in the indoor arena a few miles down the road back in uh, 
2003, 4, 5, 6. Um, these were the kind of mornings that me and Lynette would be driving to church going, I hope nobody's there. <laughs> it is so cold because we were inside this 120,000 square foot building, all 120 of us. And we would pull in the parking lot and people were showing up. And I was like, doggone, I was wanting some breakfast this morning. But, I mean, days like this, we were, we were in that cold arena having church. And God would show up and just be faithful as he could be. And, and it was pretty awesome. But thank God that we got a building. We got heaters. The heaters are working this week. And um, it's, it's a good thing. Amen. All right. Well, you know, first of the month, we always pray over the finances. If if you've not been here very long, you notice that we don't pass a, a plate or a a bag or a bucket or a hat. We don't pass any of that stuff. We don't take our time out to do an offering message. But it's not that we don't believe in offering. Got to keep the heat on somehow, right? <laughs> It's not that we don't believe in offering. It's just that we have always done uh, our offering a little bit different. So um, if, if, um, if you haven't heard the way we do it, we've got a, a table back in the back corner over there that uh, when you walk out, you can give physically here. Or you can do it online at n3c.tv. But because we leave that up to you, we pray over the finances at the beginning of the month for what God has done through you and what he will continue to do through you as you give offerings and, and tithe. Amen? Amen? So I want to read you a scripture and, and um, before we move forward with this, with me praying over you guys. Um, it's in uh, Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. And, and I want to explain to you kind of why we do things the way that we do. And here in verse 10 in Malachi chapter 3, it says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the window of heaven, windows of heaven, and pour out on you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. I want to be in that place, y'all. I want to be in that place where uh, I have to tell God, quit. Close the windows for now. I've, I've had enough. Nah. But it'd be pretty cool to tell God, you know, I, I have enough. I don't need any more. But when we bring, the, the, the principle behind this scripture is that when we bring our tithes to his house, there'll be food in the house. See, back back in those times, in the temple times, the, the priest ate the foods that were brought as an offering. The, the, they brought an offering to God, but the priest got to partake of that because they didn't have lands, uh, properties that they could uh, plow and grow, grow stuff. God says, I want, God told the priest he wanted them in the temple to be able to bring revelation to the people. Are you with me? So they would eat from that. So the concept that I see from that now in this time, in this day and time, is the, the, the concept of where you are fed is where you give. Because he wants food in his house. So you've, you've brought, you've partaken 
of the food, now it goes back into the place where you've been fed. And some people will say, well, that's the local church. That's, you know, the church I go to. That's the storehouse. That is a storehouse, not the storehouse. The storehouse is for the people who, the, the men and women who have been called into ministry, set, ordained to teach the Word of God. And so whoever that is that you felt like is feeding your spirit, man, is who the tithe and the offering would go to. Does that make sense? And that's the way we do things around here. So when you tithe and give, then we as a church tithe and give. As guest ministers come in, as um, other people come in and ministries come in, we a lot of times will, um, all the time, we, we tithe and give them an offering. Amen? So we tithe as a church as you tithe as a churchgoer. And, and so um, one of the ministries we give to is a, a youth ministry in Israel in Jerusalem, downtown Jerusalem. A friend of mine's got a ministry and we are able to give to them this year because of even your designation to go to Jerusalem plus our tithe that we give at the end of the year to that ministry. We were able to give um, my friend Richard Frieden and his ministry $17,000. So... Richard wanted to say thank you. So we have a video from him. So it's about a minute and a half, two minutes long. So if we could, Brad, could you go ahead and run that? Shalom, Pastor Darren and Lynette and and all of my friends and church family at Northern Colorado Cowboy Church. I am so incredibly moved and, and, and encouraged by your enormous generosity, the, the gift of, uh, of, of God's provision that you sent to us for our work in Jerusalem for the next generation. We love you so very much. We're so incredibly encouraged. And, and we want to thank you from the, the bottom of our hearts for your, really, this miraculous provision that you sent to us. God bless you and keep you. God shine his face upon you and be gracious to each and every one of you. May he lift up his light upon each and every one of you and families represented there and grant you his peace, his shalom. So this is in the Christian quarter in the old city of Jerusalem. I I miss you all so very much. I pray that I get an opportunity to see you in the future uh, uh, in Colorado. And I pray that I can see you one day in Jerusalem, and I can show you my beautiful city, this beautiful city, God's beautiful city, Jerusalem, the city of our great King. Love you. God bless you. Shalom. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, so if you're a tither, if you're a giver, and you give here, uh, we sure appreciate it. Appreciate it. If you give somewhere else, we say. Do it. If God tells you to give another give to another ministry, then then do it. Be obedient to God. Amen. And and watch what He does, opening up the windows of heaven for you. So let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this time that we get to share together. Father, I thank you for those that um, give 
I thank you for those who are tithers and givers. And, and, and God, I just pray that you would continue to bless them. As we move into this new year, Father, I pray that there would be um, raises given to people. I pray that there would be an increase in their, their income, an increase in investments, and an increase in, in everything that they do. Everything that they put their hands to will prosper. And so, Father, I thank you that we are givers. We are tithers, and we look for the windows of heaven to pour out of such a blessing that we don't have room to contain it. So, Father, I thank you and praise you, and, and I just ask you to continue to bless financially in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Are you all ready this morning? You guys are really quiet in here today. And um, I, think, I think that if you venture out on a day like this to come to church, that there is an excitement on the inside of you. So let it flow and let it show. All right? So I preach a lot better when you uh, preach back at me, all right? And let me know that I'm doing okay so I don't, uh, so I don't keep asking if I'm doing okay. So... Um, Today we are starting a brand new series. Pastor Lynette and I are starting a brand new series today. Um, God kind of spoke to me at the beginning of 2020 and said, I just want you to kind of do some one-offs. I used to do series all the time. I do three, four, five, six weeks of series, and I haven't been doing that lately. And so as Lynette and I were just seeking God about the this year, uh, we said, let's do one together. And so the name of this series today is called the Ecclesia. Ecclesia. If I say so. <clears throat> and so I'm, I want to explain that. I want to get into it and explain that a little bit to you here in just a minute. But, you know, we're, we're in a new year. We're in a new season. And so many times people are making, um, what's that, resolutions. They're making resolutions. And the way that I look at the word resolution is that we're trying to bring a solution to our life. We are re-upping that solution to our life. Does that make sense? I, I expected that to go off during the tithing message, but, <laughs> but from grown-ups. <clears throat> Anyways, it's a, it's a re-solution. I'm, I'm not looking to, to re-up anything that I quit on last year. I'm looking for a new solution, not a re-solution. And so I think that we all can see that. We can all partake of that when we get our minds right, get our heads right, and, and say that we are looking for a new solution, not just a resolution. And so uh, if you have your Bibles, if you would go over to Matthew chapter 16, and hold your place there, and then go to Acts chapter 14. All right? Um, here in, in Acts chapter 14, the Apostle Paul is going, him and, and his friend Barnabas are going on their very first missionary journey. When you have a paper Bible, usually in the back of that Bible, there's a map on there that shows you Paul's uh, missionary journeys. So this is, in Acts 14, is where he and Barnabas go on their first mission, missionary journey and to, to preach Jesus to people outside of Israel. You know, when, when Jesus went 
before he went to heaven, he told his disciples, he said, you're going you're gonna to preach the gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, uh, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. This is what the apostle Paul was doing. He's going to the uttermost parts of the world to preach the gospel, he and Barnabas. So as they're, as they're preaching over there, there are people that are giving their lives to God. Left and right, there's miracle signs and wonders happening. And, and Paul and Barnabas begin to get um, persecution. And sometimes when we think about persecution, we think persecution is going to come from the world. It's going to come from non-believers in Jesus is where the persecution is going to come from. There is a little bit of that. But where we get persecuted the most when we begin to preach the gospel of Jesus is we, we get persecuted the most from other Christians or other people in the same religion that we're symbolizing, you know? And so when, when Paul and Barnabas began to get persecuted, it came from the Jews um, who were there that didn't believe in Jesus. Paul's own people began to persecute him. And there on that first missionary trip, he was stoned, not Colorado stone. <laughs> he was stoned with rocks. And they, they basically killed him. They said they presumed that he was dead, so they drug his body out of the city and threw him outside the city gates. And the believers that Paul had preached to gathered around him and called life back into him. And Paul got up and went back in the city and preached. Knots on his head and everything, you know. And so this is, this is where we're at. He had just, uh, just began to, uh, to preach again after he had been uh, stoned to death, resurrected. He went back in, he preached, and then he left town. He and Barnabas took off uh, following the path that they took out there. They began to make their way back towards Israel. They were out there for about two years preaching the, preaching the gospel. And so um, here in, in Acts chapter 14, they, they began to backtrack some of the towns that they had been to already. And here in Acts chapter 14, verse 21... I want, to, I want to start here, verse 21. It says, And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, uh, uh, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, We must, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God ain't easy to get into, y'all. There's tribulations that come. And it said, he goes on, and, and he said, verse 23, So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. I want to stop right there. So the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, they go and they, in this two-year journey, they go and they plant churches. They, they preach to people and they're planting um, this, well, they're, they're preaching the gospel to these people. These people are getting saved. And so they, he, they get saved. He gathers them up and then he leaves town 
And now he's making his way back, and he is amazed at, him and Barnabas are amazed at how many people continued the walk while they were gone and had formed gatherings all over the place. Listen, the Apostle Paul didn't have a book to tell him how to do this. It was the first time. It was the first time, and he didn't have instructions. He didn't have any uh, person that's already done it come to him and say, hey, this is the way you do this. No, he's laying it down. He's the one that's cutting the path. And so um, the, the Apostle Paul sees this. He's amazed. He and Barnabas are amazed that these churches or these gatherings of people that have popped up, and, and it says that they went back there to strengthen their souls. How many of you know when your preacher is gone for a while, your soul begins to get a little barren because you're needing some of that revelation? So his purpose was to go into these towns where they uh, had already preached and to strengthen their souls. Strengthening their souls means uh, this, is they're, they're living in a society that does not believe in God. And the, the weight and the pressure is coming upon them. And it's draining their strength in the spirit. So Paul comes back and he strengthens their soul to keep them, keep them tuned in to Jesus and strengthening them to the gospel that they had received of Jesus Christ. And then the Bible says that they exhorted them to continue. I love the word exhort because it means to encourage. And he, he comes in, and, and all I can hear is this Joe Dirt sound. And he says, y'all just keep on keeping on. Just keep on keeping on. It's either Joe Dirt or Joel Osteen, one of the two. Uh, but yeah, keep on keeping on. He's encouraging them that it's, you know, yeah, it's tough, but keep on. Keep moving. Keep going. Then he appointed leaders for the gatherings of those churches, or the, those gatherings, and he called it a church. He called it a church. This word church, when you look it up in the, in the uh, Strong's Concordance, the Greek word for this church is called ekklesia. That's where we're getting the series from. It's about the church. I believe that there are many of you that are making new solutions to come to church at the beginning of this year. And you're, you're wanting to get back in church. You're, you're, you're wanting to see what this church thing is all about. It's a new solution. And so what we're going to purpose to do is strengthen your souls and exhort you to continue. That's what this series is going to be about. That's what the ecclesia is. And when I looked up the word ecclesia, it was a really, it's a really cool word because it's a compound word. Many of the uh, Greek words are compound words. They take um, a root word here and a root word here, put them together and get their definition off of them. So ecclesia, the, uh, the definition comes from the word ek, E-K in the Greek, and ek means to be out of or from. Kaleo is the rest of that word. Klesia, uh, uh, kaleo, means to call by name. So when you put the two words together, 
That's the church is a people who are called by name out into the gospel. Does that make sense? It's being called by name. Church is not a building. Church is not a building. Church is a name that you have as a person. Church is not a building, it's a name. And the church is your name. It's your name. When, when, when God calls you out by name, you become the church. And when you make a decision, like today, it would be so easy to stay home. It would be so easy. It's too cold. Roads are too slick. Bed's really warm. When you make the decision to come and gather with other called outs, that is what the church is. It's gathering together with other people who have been called out by name to strengthen your soul and to encourage you to keep on keeping on. You are the ecclesia. You are the church. So when, when Lynette and I begin to, as we move into this thing for the next four weeks on ecclesia, remember that. It's the called out by name. It's God looking at you, not a bunch of people. He's looking at you when you come and gather with the other names that are called out. Man, this mic is driving me crazy. I think it's my collar. I got all prettied up today and <laughs> messing with my mic. All right, go over to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, I hope you get more excited. I don't know if I can contain the excitement that you have right now. But here in, in Matthew chapter 16, um, it's the first time in the Bible that the word church is mentioned. And Jesus is the one that is mentioning the word church here. And, and it's that ecclesia. It's, it's not during that time, church, like what we know it, was not a real um, clear concept. Now, the Jews had gatherings where they would gather all their people together and they would come to a building called the synagogue. But the synagogue was a, um, the, the, the synagogue was a place and not a people. It's where the Jews as people gathered to hear certain things like the law and, and things like that being uh, spoken during that time. But the synagogue was a place, not a people. The church is a people, not a place. So Jesus here is at the height of his ministry. And, and um, man, about two years into this deal, he's seeing, they're seeing miracle signs and wonders. Him and the disciples are just traveling around all over Israel, seeing miracle signs and wonders, seeing people being raised from the dead, demons cast out, people getting healed, Things are happening in Jesus' ministry. He's at, the, he's at the, the, the pinnacle of his ministry during this time. And so they had traveled up to a little town called Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi. And now Caesarea Philippi is in the northeastern corner uh, or up in the northeastern part of Israel. 
It's at the it's at the base of Mount Hermon, and it's where the Jordan River flows out. That's the headwaters of the Jordan River that runs down all uh, along the border of Israel on the east side. And so they um, they go to Caesarea Philippi, and Caesarea Philippi is a very lush, very um, um, green and um, irrigated uh, part of irrigated part of Israel, and, and it's really, it's not deserty at all. And so Jesus goes there with his disciples, and as he's there with his disciples, they're within eyeshot of a cave temple called the Temple of Pan. Pan was a Greek god. He was a god, he was a deity of uh, fertilization, and uh, really he was, a, he was a god of lust and, and not good things. So, um, and, and so this is, this is the Mecca of pagan temples. And and so, um, inside that cave was a, um, what they thought to be a bottomless pit and they called it the portal of Hades. They called it the place of the underworld that in that, in that place, Hades or hell or the place of the dead, that's where it was connected. And so people would come and worship there. Of course, not the Israelites. They were, they were pagan people, Gentile people that would come and, and um, worship there. So Jesus, I, I think Jesus is standing down by the, the headwaters of the Jordan and he's behind him is this temple of Pan. And in that, that temple, um, people are lined up going in and out of that temple, worshiping this God, Pan. And, and so Jesus is with an eye shot, and this is what he asks his disciples. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 says this. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, you know, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah and, and, or one of the prophets. And Jesus stopped them right there. And he said, but who do you say that, who do you say that I am? And, and they said, um, Peter said, Peter, Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, or Simon, the son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So I'm going to stop right there for just a minute. Because Jesus said, Who do you say that I am? Peter, Simon Peter, steps up and he says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus looks at him and says, Blessed are you. He says, high five, brother. He says, blessed are you. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. In other words, your humanity did not reveal this to you. You didn't get this revelation by human reasoning or ideals or experiences. He said, you got this directly from the Spirit of God, the heart of God. And he says, my, you got it from my Father, the supernatural uh, knowledge 
unveiled in this reality. He says, Peter, you are blessed. Then he goes on in verse 18. He says, Simon, or um, uh, verse 18 says, Jesus is talking. He says, and I also say to you uh, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Jesus said, what you just said, what you discovered, Simon, I'm going to change your name to Peter. Because Peter means Petros, or it means a building stone. He says, you are a building stone, Peter. And he says, on this rock, what rock? I believe Jesus was standing there saying, blessed are you, Peter. I am the rock. He said, upon this rock, you shall build my church. He said, I, I am that revelation that was given to you. And being that revelation that was given to you, you as a building stone now become set on the foundational stone. This is where I build my church, not a building, not the temple that's behind them. It's not gathering in, a, in, a, in, a, in a, something that man has done. You are gathering together in the revelation that God has given you that I am the Messiah. He says, and on this rock, I will build my church. See, becoming a Christian for you and I, becoming a Christian is the difference between what we know and what is revealed. What we know and what is revelation. Um, our, our human knowledge is that Jesus was a great man. I mean, you, you can ask any religion out there. Do, do you know who Jesus was? They'll, they'll say, yeah, we know, we know who Jesus is. He's a great prophet. We, we've heard all about Jesus, but we don't worship Jesus because that's the knowledge. You have to have the knowledge that he is the Christ. He is the Christ. And when you realize that he is the Christ and you, and you accept him, you receive him as the Christ, now you become a Christian. That's where you become a Christian. Amen? So becoming a Christian, Christian is the difference between our human knowledge and the, the revelation that Jesus is the salvation of the world. So everyone who becomes a Christian like Peter, becomes a building stone of Jesus' church. Are you with me? The, the, the cool thing is, is, see, we think that when we come to Jesus, that we found him. That ain't the way it works. Because he found you. He called you out by name, and when he called you out by name, the revelation of he is the Christ dropped in you, and you said, Jesus is Lord. You called him by name. But he called you first, whether you know it or not. Because God and Jesus and Holy Spirit together believe that everyone should have this. He's not keeping it from anyone. He's called everyone by name. 
He's called you by name. Even if you go by your middle name, he has called you by name. I go by my middle name. And we think we found Jesus, but he found us and he called us by name. Amen. Back um, in February of 2000, Lynette and I were serving at a cowboy church down in Colorado Springs. We were the associate pastors of that church. Um, I did not want to be a pastor. I didn't even want to be an associate pastor. We both didn't feel like that that's what we needed to do and wanted to do. But what happens when God calls you by name? You know, things happen. And so um, our pastor, the guy that we were, him and his wife that we were serving, um, wanted to start a cowboy church up here in Fort Collins because um, a lot of the kids that were going, young people that were going to that church were going to go to CSU. So he says, let's, let's put something up there. There, were, there was no cowboy ministry or cowboy churches here at that time. And, and so um, we came up, we was doing some, we went on our first missionary journey um, up, up to Fort Collins. We had a connection up there with a, a, the vineyard of the Rockies Church. It used to be Fort Collins Vineyard, but now it's Church of the Rockies. And, and we went in and sat down with this, uh, this pastor and talked about how we could start church uh, up here. And they were going to help us with a, a room and things like that so we could begin uh, to do that. But during that time, during that same time, we had this opportunity. And then a friend of ours called in cowboy ministry. He said, I've started a church in Tucson, Arizona, and um, I want you guys to come and pastor it because I'm, I'm not pastoring it. He said, I started it. Now I want to hand it off so that I can go start others. So here in our lap was these two churches, two opportunities to have a church. One was established. The Tucson church was established, already had um, a group of people that were giving to that church. We had um, accommodations to live there. And, and I mean, it's, it's a sweet deal. Ready-made congregation, a paycheck and a place to live. We were living in her parents' house. You don't know how tempting that was. I love, I love my in-laws, but I love to leave when I get ready, you know. And um, and I'm sure that they love trying to give us the right foot of fellowship right out the door. At that time, they loved us and everything. We loved them, but we was ready to go. So Tucson would have been oh so good. But God pointed us toward Northern Colorado to start Northern Colorado Cowboy Church. And the cool thing about it was, is when we were in talks with, uh, with the Vineyard Church over in Fort Collins, Pastor Rick Olmstead was the lead pastor there at the time. And Rick told us something. It's, it's a, a, something that I'll never forget, that Lynette and I will never forget. We've taken that and we have told other people that, helped other people get started in ministry based on that. Pastor Rick told us in his office one day when we were trying to decide what to do, he says, listen, you guys, God does not send you to a place. He sends you to a people. He does not send you to a place. He sends you to a people. And when you step into that place, you'll know your people. And that was one of the things that pushed us in this direction 
from Colorado Springs up to northern Colorado to start northern Colorado Cowboy Church, and we did, obviously. Um, we did. We didn't have a promise of any um, people coming to that church. We didn't know who would come. We didn't have a paycheck, and we were commuting back and forth for six, eight months and before we found a place to live. That's a miracle in itself, but I don't have time to tell you about it. But when we decided to launch in May of 2000, we talked about it and we said, these are the things we want. These are the things we want to do. We, uh, that, that we would preach the uncompromised word of God, bar none. That's what we were going to do. We, we would live the word of God uh, with integrity. We would equip God's people to do ministry and we would encourage relationships, uh, people's relationships with God and with each other. And, and so um, that's, that's what we began to do. That's the premise of what we started on. So today, 22 years later, it's pretty cool. 22 years later, I believe that because we started with those things in our hearts to preach the uncompromised word of God, to have integrity, to, to do all those things. Now I believe that we've got three things in this church, that it, we have a simple atmosphere and authentic relationship with God and other people. Authentic relationship. Amen? Amen. The kingdom of God is alive and active in every believer. And we believe that there's a, a people not doing church, but being the church. Not just coming on Sunday, getting what they want, and leaving out of here and waiting until next Sunday to, to take what they learned and get it out there. We want to be a people that when you come to church, you get something to take out into the world so that you can go be the church In, in, in our culture, in our society. Amen. So we believe that, that God sent us to a people here in northern Colorado. He sent us to you. Every one of you. Say, I'm here today visiting. He sent us to you. He called us here. And, and you know, he, with technology breaking out, I, n- I never thought about that we was going to be on all I thought, you know, is if somebody come in and recorded it and put it on TBN or something like that. But now we've got live stream. There's people watching live right now all over the, all over the United States and probably the world. Because we did what we did back then. We were faithful to do what we did back then. And we believe God sent us to a people. God sent you to us. But more importantly, he sent us to you. I love this church. I love this church, not the building. I, I really can't stand the building. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for it. But I, I love the people who make up the church on the inside. That's what I come for. Amen. All right, I'm going to move on then. <clears throat> As I read this story and have read this story so many times before where Jesus says this to his disciples, he talks a lot about rocks. Rocks are good. 
I mean, we've got rocks in our garden. It's a river rock garden and weeds. <laughs> but, uh, you know, rocks are a good thing. Unless you get hit by one. <laughs> we can ask Paul about that. But I love how Jesus likened himself and his ecclesia, his church, his people, his disciples. I love how he relates that to rocks. And he, he calls himself a rock. So I've, I've got a little thing here that I want to do. It's not a skit like CW. I'm not that cool to have a skit. I got a jar. I got a jar. And this, this jar represents our lives without Jesus. We're, we're just empty. There's just an empty spot. You know, when you're not here during the week, this church is empty. It's, this represents twofold representation of us as the church, as the ecclesia. And, and you'll see how the, this ecclesia that gathers here on Sundays, how it, uh, it goes along with this. So there's that. And when we ask Jesus into our lives, there's three elements that I want to give you of the ecclesia. When we ask Jesus Christ to come and be a part of our life, the first thing that he gives us is he gives us himself, which he said, I am the foundation stone. It's up on this rock that I'm going to build my church. So he gives a foundation stone. So I went out in my garden. I found a rock. I think it's a good looking rock. I think that's, you know, I think it's Jesus. He's a good looking rock. And so we ask Jesus to come and be a part of our life, and it becomes, I'm going to have to do this so I don't break it. He becomes the foundation stone, stone at the inner most being of who we are. He comes into our heart. You've heard that before. You've got to ask Jesus to come into your heart. Jesus came, this rock just got into the heart of this jar. So Jesus said upon this rock, I am building my foundation uh, for the church, for the ecclesia. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 and 25, Jesus said this, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Amen? Jesus is saying, you've got, to, you've got to hear and do what I'm telling you to do. When you ask me to come into your heart, you, you become the ecclesia because the foundation in the, in the middle is Jesus. And we build our house upon the rock, not upon the sand. You remember that same, same uh, parable that he's telling there? The one who built his house upon the sand was foolish. Build, you've got to build upon the rock. Amen? Sand is religion. Are you hearing me? Sand is religion. But Jesus is the relationship, the rock, the foundation of, his, of, of heaven, of the word. He's the foundation for all that. So the second thing that happens 
we, we become like Peter. We become this building stone. And so we have to have, number two is we have to have support. In, in, I don't know if you're straining to get this out. Um, I have, I've heard this in many cultures, but because we're in the cowboy culture, I've heard it this way more than anything is, you know, my relationship with Jesus is to just go out and saddle my horse, get on my horse and ride out across the prairie on my, by, all by myself, and that's where I commune with God. Really. When you do that, you don't have relationship with me. You don't have relationship with anybody. You're not coming to church because you're going out there and you're counting it real noble. Now listen, I think, I think there's a time and a place to get on your horsey and go for a ride and talk to Jesus. But when you have the attitude is I don't need church, all I need is my pasture by myself, that's not ecclesia. You may have Jesus at the core of your heart. I'm not saying you're going to hell. I'm just saying that you are empty except for Jesus. And you don't commune with anybody else. You don't get together with anybody else to come into a place where you need support. We all need support. When people um, leave us, when people reject us, when people die, when people um, step out of your life, you need somebody, you need a bunch of somebodies that can come and gather around you. And that's where the building stone comes in. Peter, his name was changed to a, to a building stone. And when Peter wrote his uh, epistle, first and second Peter, Peter, first Peter says, uh, Peter says, as living stones, we are being built up a spiritual house. Yes. He had a revelation of living stones. And in, in Ephesians chapter 4, um, the Apostle Paul writes, he says, you know, that the gifts of the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, pastor, and teacher has been given to the saints for the, for the work of the ministry. He says it's for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry and for the edifying of the body of Christ. The word edify means the building up of the body of Christ, that we come around each other, that we step into situations like this every Sunday. We're not coming to a church building. We're coming to a church people. To, to have our back, to, 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 to have those relationships that we need for support. Because when you get bucked off your horse out in the middle of 40 acres, you ain't got nobody to come and get you. But you get bucked off your horse during the week and you see to it that you're at church, there's people that can gather around you. And so Hebrews 10, uh, 25 in the New Living Translation says, And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. I've, I've heard it from more than one person. I think we're living in the last of the last days. Have you heard that? You need people now more than ever. This is not a time to be the Lone Ranger. This is not a time to, 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 to be away, have your foundation, but to be away from people. Because this is what happens in the power of together. You're building stones. 
have people that begin to gather around you. Amen? Would you say, well, I, I, can, I can't even hardly see Jesus anymore. They embody Jesus as much as you do. And we fill our lives with people with relationships. Church is not a place that we go for fellowship, for the purpose of fellowship. It's not a place. It's like going to the gym. You don't go to the gym to sweat. When you go to the gym, you will sweat because of what you're doing. But when you come to church, you don't come to church for fellowship, but fellowship and relationship begins to happen when you come to church to be around the ecclesia. Amen? It's, the, it's being the power of together. And it, it fills in the gaps of where we need relationships. Amen? And the third thing that we have is mortar. When, when, you're, when you're building a, a house or um, you've got rocks, like a rock fireplace, or you, you've got a, a brick house, we live in a brick house, and we need that mortar in there to, to, to stick those bricks together, right? And, and as, as we do that, see, uh, it, it's the substance. The mortar is the substance that holds us together. We view church a lot of times as a perfectly organized building. And, and we even, you know, in the ecclesia, we can even say or, or have this view that the ecclesia should be these perfectly proportioned bricks with just the right amount of mortar between the bricks to stick and keep everything together. But I want to tell you this. The ecclesia is not perfect bricks put together in perfect spacing. Living stones are all different shapes and sizes. And what we need is something that begins to fill those gaps. I love, I looked up the, looked up the word mortar. I mean, I know what it is, but this is the way the definition says. It says, it fills and seals irregular gaps between the stones. I'm not shaped exactly like you. My spiritual walk is different probably than yours. The things that I do are, you know, spiritually are probably not the same as yours. See, when you have perfect bricks with perfect spacing, you have this idea that everything is perfect. I grew up in churches like that. I've been to churches like that. But what I found when I became a pastor at a cowboy church is that everybody's shape is different. Everybody is different, and we need that something, that go, that mortar that goes in there and holds us together. Because church is messy. Church is messy. I heard this... Um, from Brother Kenneth Copeland, he said this. He said, the greatest expression of God's love is the blood of Jesus. In Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, it says that the life, that life is in the blood. You, you lose your blood, you lose your life. You, go, you, you hunter guys out there, go and shoot an elk and you drain his blood. 
because he's dead. You get rid of the blood. But it's the blood that brings life to a person, to, a, to a, any kind of entity. It's the blood that brings life because the life is in the blood. Andrew Murray, a, a preacher at the turn of the 20th century, he said this, all of the glorious things that the blood means, this is one of the most glorious. His blood is, a sign, is the sign, the measure, yes, the impartation of his love. Jesus poured out his blood because he loves you. And that is the mortar. that binds us together. Uh, I don't want to spill this on me. Do you see how, what perfection looks like? That's perfection. This is who we are. This is the ecclesia. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, the Apostle Paul writes and he says, For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. He said, the love of Christ compels us. That word compels there, I look that word up. The word compels means to hold together. It's the love of Christ that holds us together because he died for us and he gave us his blood so that we could become the ecclesia, we could become the church, we could become the people that he called out by name. This is lichen to the house that Jesus built. That's you individually. But it's not only you individually, it is the church at large. The blood runs thick through this place because the love of God runs thick through this place. And it's the love of God, the blood of God, blood of Jesus that brings us together. The rock, the living stones, and the blood. That is Ecclesia. The house that Jesus built. If you would look at your neighbor on your left, if you have one over there. Now look at your neighbor on your right. Now look behind you. Now look in front of you. Each one that you see is called out by name. We have all been called out by name. We are the church. We are the ecclesia. We are the ones called by name so that we can call upon a name. And his name is Jesus. He's the rock. He's the, the middle of who we are. In Matthew 16, where we started at today, verse 18, Jesus said, I will build my church 
and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. When you're the church, when you're the ecclesia, you have the victory. This is what victory looks like. It's those people who gather. It's Jesus, bottom line, and it's people who gather around you, who you become friends with. And because Jesus poured out his blood, it binds us together. You say, Pastor, what if I don't agree with them? What if if my... What if my neighbor is a Democrat? Or what if my neighbor is a Republican? What if my neighbor is of the Green Party? Or whatever. That don't matter. They're called out by name, just as you are called out by name. What if I don't get along with them? Well, this is what I've discovered in the body of Christ, is that some people are noses and some people are armpits. They're still the same body, but your nose ain't by your armpit for a reason. That's really a, another example. Um, there's another example that goes along with that, but I thought I'd keep it clean today. But the, but the fact of the matter is, it doesn't matter. We've been bound by love. We've been bound by the blood of Jesus, and it don't matter. You don't have to agree on everything, but you do have to love each other because that's what the ecclesia does. See, if you're if you're a staunch conservative, then you probably won't talk to a liberal too much except to tell them how wrong and stupid they are. If you're a liberal, you won't talk very much to a conservative unless you're telling them how stupid they are. Let me just say this. If it wasn't for Jesus, we'd all be stupid. Because Jesus is at the core of everything. He's called you out by name. You are the ecclesia. You are the church. Let's stop doing church and let's start being the church. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh God, thank you so much. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. God, I praise you and thank you that you have placed us together. I thank you for calling us to start a church. And I thank you that you've given us this building. But I thank you that this building is nothing but a tool in order to bring your ecclesia together. And that we can all move and be encouraged. We can all take what you've given us out into this world that we can be the church not just here but outside these four walls and I thank you God for what you're doing in the midst of us now with every head bowed and every eye closed for just a minute I just want to put something in your mind Jesus right now if you've never stepped into a relationship with him he is locking eyes with you right now and that, that blood is there. He's the rock. If, if you've never been, if, if you've never been in, uh, come into relationship with Jesus Christ, right now he's locking eyes with you and he's calling you by name. And he's saying, 
would you come and follow me? Bill, would you come and follow me? Sally, would you come and follow me? Whoever you are, he's calling you by name and he's saying, will you come and follow me? And if you've never stepped into that place before, simply say yes. I'll follow you. And when you say that you'll follow him, the foundation stone has been placed inside of you. And the relationship that you have now with Jesus Christ when you say yes is the relationship that brings you to be a part of the church, a part of the ecclesia. It gives you so many benefits. Saying yes to the rock of ages. Father, I pray for those right now that are saying yes. I pray for those that that are humbling themselves and saying, Jesus, I need you. Father, I thank you so much for your son, Jesus, and I thank you for the love that you've given us through his blood. And God, I thank you for each and every one of us who now can come together as the church, as the ecclesia. I praise you and I thank you, God, for what you're doing in our midst and continue to do to bring healing to our hearts, for encouraging us to keep on keeping on. I thank you for it in Jesus' name.